Does an orthopedic condition or sports injury have you sidelined? Make your comeback with GW Hospital Sports Medicine. We offer services from neck to toe, including care for shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, and hands. Plus, we're the official healthcare partner of GW Athletics, the DC Furies, and the DC Revolution. Get back to doing the things you love. Learn more at gwhospital.com slash sportsmed or call 888-4-GW-DOCS. Physicians are not employees or agents of this hospital. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your hosts from SteelersDepot.com where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora. Always lit. Talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 132. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation. Dave, we're recording this year uh, late on Thursday night, and it has been a busy Thursday. We we're just talking before we began recording. Kind of feels like a game day. Uh, this has been an extremely busy offseason, a very good offseason. But it has been nonstop action, nonstop news, and Thursday was no exception. Man, aren't we supposed to get a little break in between <laughs> rookie <laughs> rookie mini camps and, and 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 OTAs? And Lord have mercy, yeah, we were talking. Uh, I I can't remember an off season like this one. I don't know if it's just because there's more, you know, you have more access to more stuff coming in and 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 all that kind of stuff. But it, it seems like it's just been one thing after the other and the Steelers have helped provide some of that with, uh, you know, moves throughout the off season. And boy, do we got, uh, got one to talk about today and, uh, several interviews and somebody falling up in a pool. And <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's, it has been a crazy Thursday. So dealer's choice, Alex, where would you like to start? Well, I think we know where we're going to start with the news of the day. Do want to mention briefly a bit later in the show, we'll have a, a roundtable kind of part draft, part 2023 outlook with Jonathan Hytrider, Josh Carney, and Tyler Wise. So we'll get their input on on the draft and some of the news of the day a little bit later in the show. But yeah, TJ Watt fell into a pool of water. Mitch Trubisky falling into a pool of money, a reported extension. News broken by Omar Khan himself on an episode and in interview with uh, Pat McAfee on the Pat McAfee show. And so Ian Rappaport saying it's a two-year extension. We know a, a chunk of the details, some of the broader financials, but Mitch Trubisky, contract extension. So I'm eating a lot of crow this week. Don't don't ask me about my opinion on quarterback stuff because I got Rudolph wrong. I got Trubisky largely wrong. And so I thought he would uh, play out this deal. You had talked about extension, cons, comments back in February at the Combine. And now Trubisky seems imminent to an extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, obviously not officially announced by the team. I would suspect maybe that's going to happen tomorrow or or, or, or or Monday or something along those lines there, but it sounds like it's uh, it, it, it's a done deal at this point. Omar Khan breaking extension news on a, on a, during an interview. I, do you ever remember Kevin Colbert doing that? I can't. Well, him doing interviews was light <laughs> at, at the start. Yeah. I mean, how about, how far has Omar Khan come from that first combine interview? A very nervous, kind of very close to the vest, Omar Khan. And now he's just saying, yeah, here's, here's who, we're, who we're signing, you know, next. It's just, uh, it's been a big turnaround for Omar Khan. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he, I don't know if he just, you know, I, I don't, 
It, it, good on Pat McAfee for getting yeah. that out there. You know, you can get these guys talking a little. Yeah, bit. good, good on him, and good on Rich Eisen too. I enjoy. I, you know, everybody sees Mike Tomlin was on with Rich Eisen earlier on this Thursday. Another great interview. I think something like 18, 19, 20 minutes, something like that there. But uh, all right, uh, Mitch Trubisky. Weren't we just talking about him uh, in the last podcast, Alex, and saying, uh, go back to. Uh, the truth serum and, and, you know, Omar Khan and all the way back to the combine, how much is that lip service? And, and, you know, he seemed to talk uh, at the time that they wanted uh, Mitch Trubisky pass this year. And I think right there at the end of February is when I wrote that article, you know, is, you know, could, could we see actually a Mitch Trubisky extension uh, this off season? And I even went as far as to put a projection out there in that end of February post and, Fast forward, here we are in uh, in 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 the middle of May. Two-year extension for uh, Trubisky, according to Ian Rappaport. Uh, it's got a. It sounds like it's got a base value of the three total years of nineteen point four million, and he can earn. It looks like a total of thirty-three million over the length of the contract. So obviously, there's 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 extensions. I mean, there's I mean incentives and. Uh, a bunch of variables in there uh, as well, too. So those didn't go away. It'd be interesting to see what the playtime uh, variables, if they've changed from what they were in his last contract. Now, you look at this $19.4 million uh, over the three years. You have to keep in mind that he was due $8 million this year. So uh, that's considered old money. You subtract that from the 19.4 million uh, total. You come up with what 11.4 million new money. You take the 11.4 and you divide that by two. That's uh, what uh, uh, seven point. I mean five point. No. Uh, 5.7 something or uh, yeah, 5.7. Yeah. 5.7 million. That's his new money average, uh, uh, based on this and, uh, his, his, his old new money average. That's weird to say, uh, was, you know, <laughs> uh, slightly over seven at that point, but, uh, it, you know, we don't have all, you know, we've just got the, the, the loose, kind of value on this thing, but I don't think it's hard to start piecing it together here. And the way I kind of envision this now, this is, you know, I'm, I'm at the mercy at the number that's out there. So I have to, uh, I'm all I'm working off of is a $19.4 million total value of the three years. If indeed that's the case, uh, I envision this uh, having like an $8.1 million signing bonus, which was, you know, a little bit more than what he was scheduled to earn in a base salary. Uh, and a total of like $9.4 million in 2023, uh, base salaries in 2024 and 2025 of 5 million each. And if indeed it's what I think it is, it should lower his cap. Uh, number Alex by 4 million or thereabouts. So maybe a mm. little less than that. So that's a lot of cap space. that's getting cleared this week with the Keller Witherspoon's uh, release. And then this uh, extension with Trubisky that should provide some sort of 2023 cap relief. So given just what we know, and I know we don't know all the details in terms of the particulars of the contract, just again, some of these baseline figures, 
I think in terms of the new money average at, at 5.7 per year over the next, you know, the, the two new years, that is a good price to pay for, I think, a, a veteran backup quarterback, one of the better number twos in football. Um, and, and rather than trying to go find somebody next year for maybe slightly cheaper, you know, the effort, the risk, the unknown in doing that wouldn't it's it just not worth it. So to me, you know, it's a it's a fair number for both sides. And again, I'm surprised by it, but but I'm happy to see it. Yeah, look, you 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 keep someone uh another experienced quarterback in the building past 2023, and now you know you're 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 you you know it looks like your quarterback room is a, a set at least with the top two uh you know for the next couple of years. Now I, I wouldn't think that anything more than the first year's fully guaranteed on this, meaning the $9.4 million. We'll see. But, uh, you know, you know, assuming Mitch doesn't fall off the cliff, you know, look, we hope we don't have to see him, right? We hope Kenny, we hope that we see him do a couple of kneel downs, uh, several kneel downs, maybe in, 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 in relief here. But, uh, uh, assuming like he has base salaries in 2024 and 2025 of $5 million and cap hits of around $7.7 million. You can certainly work around that, especially uh, still several years away from, from, from Kenny, you know, potentially getting a new deal there. And, you know, once again, you get it, you know, yeah, you, you keep the devil that, you know, uh, there. So, uh, Look, we, you know, we've, I've, I've come a long way. You know, we, we, we went into the off season wondering maybe if Mitch Trubisky might be on the outs, you know, uh, because of that salary. And then you get to the Art Rooney, the second uh, comments and you start saying, well, it sounds like they're going to keep them. And then you get to the combine and uh, everything that Omar Khan said, you know, basically not only do we want to keep them, we want to have them here uh, past, uh, past this season. And, now you fast forward to the middle of May before even OTAs get underway and you've got him locked up for, uh, for, for, for two more years and in the process going to lower that cap, uh, cap charge in 2023 as well, too. So kudos to Omar Khan. Omar is coming. He's coming. He's here. My, my thought with Trubisky was again, in the off season, I, I earlier in the off season, I didn't know what, real incentive there was for him to want to do an extension. I could see it from Pittsburgh's perspective to make him a number two, to keep him in that role, to provide some clarity about the quarterback room going forward. And, you know, we're still not that far removed from that comment that Trubisky made to ESPN, basically saying he regretted signing as quickly as he did with the Pittsburgh Steelers, basically a deal that was done before for agency. And I believe the first for agency contract announced when the league year began in uh 2022 so from trubisky's standpoint what do you think has changed over these last couple of months for him to go from that comment to hey let me you know put myself on a long-term deal at least a two-year deal extension with the pittsburgh steelers yeah just look uh uh, all he had to do is probably had a conversation with Mason Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> Mason probably says it's hell out there. <laughs> and the grass is not always greener. Uh, you know, now look, there, there are a couple of, we've seen a couple of these kind of middle of the road contracts out there this off season, right. You know, kind of medium range, but you know, it, 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 it's, it's pretty much feast or famine, you know, uh, it seems. And I think at this point, uh, in his career, uh, he's a backup, obviously, and, and has to accept that. And 
you know, why not, why not do it in Pittsburgh and, and, and do it in a place that, you know, you, you might get a, you might have a chance at getting a couple of snaps along the way for whatever reason, uh, there. And, you know, it just, it, it prevents him from having to climb into the free agency pool a year from now with all these, how many new quarterbacks did you have come, come, come into the league in the first round this year? And how many are coming next year? And, you know, you, you just get into that spot where, you know, it, it's time to accept the fact that you're probably a backup. So you better, you better latch on where, where, where you can and, and as good a money as you can. And right now, you know, I think he's one of, you know, the top paid backups in the league. And I think obviously because of the rookie deals around, around the league, you know, he's, he should be in the top 32 still uh, as far as new money average goes, you know, across the league. I'm with you. And that's a subject to my terrible take on Friday, basically coming to that same conclusion that I think Trubisky had a probably hard, but honest and healthy conversation with himself of saying, my starter days are probably over, at least in the sense of had I not taken the extension, played out the year as Kenny Pickett's backup, played a little bit, got a game or two when Pickett went down or some mop-up duty, whatever the case is, there was not going to be a hot market for me in all likelihood for the 2024 offseason. And so take the money now instead of trying to bet on yourself and hope something really breaks favorably in your direction. I think Trubisky made that calculation that I can have a really good spot in a, in a place where you can win, compete. I think he does at least, you know, like the locker room, like the culture, all those kinds of things, things he didn't have in Chicago, things he had more of in Buffalo and wants to kind of keep that obviously at more money than what he had in the one year with the bills. And so I think that's the thought that Trubisky has is let me accept my role as a backup. I can still have value. I'm still one snap away from playing and I can make a fair amount of money while doing all those things. And look, uh, you know, the Steelers have a long history of being dedicated to some long-term backups on top of it. So, uh, I mean, this thing could, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how long this runs. I mean, uh, he's obviously under contract now through 2025, but, you know, you know, might, might turn into some veteran benefit contracts, but, you know, he, he might be able to play a couple of years past that as well. Yeah. And, and frankly, and, and why wouldn't you want to play for I me? Mean, you know, Mike Tomlin on, on top of it, you know? Sure. And frankly, it's just there's probably some value in him and, and somebody wanting to keep him around. You know, he was a one year starter in North Carolina, really didn't get a whole lot of commitment there, had a very turbulent Chicago you know, career, mostly downs, but some ups and never really was on stable, consistent, probably secure feeling. Obviously, Buffalo was a one year thing. I'm sure he was well liked, had a good time there, but we knew that was going to be a short term play. And so for somebody to come to him and say, hey, we like you, Mitch. We want you to be here. We want to commit to you. Not something he's really had in his career before, college or or NFL. And there's probably some value in stability for himself, for his family, and just to to have at least some illusion of security. We know that NFL contracts are not, you know, worth the paper they're printed on, but at least that feeling of this is where I'm gonna put down roots for a little while. There's there's definitely value in that. Yeah, I I I would agree with that. So uh it, what I mean. Once again, you know, you come out of last season wondering if, uh, you know, and, and, you know, based on kind of some of those comments uh, that, that he had made and, uh, you, and, and that high cap number, and obviously Kenny Pickett in town that, you know, going to be your starter moving forward. You wondered, you wondered if he might make, if he wouldn't make it past March 15th. And not only did he do that, he's got a new deal by almost May 15th on top of it. So, uh, and, you know, th this is a team that's, that, that's, 
you know, hoping to put, put all the pieces together in these next couple of years. And, you know, maybe that's another thing that he's looking at is I, you know, I think this team can, can potentially compete for a Super Bowl uh, during these three years that I'm, that I'm now under contract for. Sure. I'm sure that's a thought as well. And so I have to commend Omar Khan and the front office because whatever message they're sending these quarterbacks and getting Rudolph to return, getting Trubisky to ink to long-term deal again, there's reasons for those guys to want to do that, but they're selling it well to get these guys to come back and commit things that I did not expect to happen. So again, I was wrong on both those things. Um, I mean, I, I was right in the sense of they were going to keep Trubisky and then the brief conversation that occurred post Rudolph signing up, is that going to threaten Trubisky's spot? We both had the conversation Wednesday. Don't really expect that to be the case. Now, obviously, will not be the case. But yeah, I think for Pittsburgh, you feel good about your room right now. And with the extension of Trubisky, you feel, about, feel good about that room in the future as well. Yeah, ag- agreed. And I don't think we have to worry about them drafting a quarterback uh, anytime soon, right? <laughs> thank goodness for that. I'm happy to uh, spend the capital on some guys who can, you know, hopefully play and contribute. And, and, and that's my thought. I know that Rudolph was a, a draft pick and Pittsburgh moved up to get him. People kind of forget that aspect. I think they jumped Cincinnati because the Bengals might have taken him. But I, I like signing the veteran guys opposed to the draft pick that you have to try to develop. And they're so hit and miss. The success rate is so low. Get the veteran guy that kind of had the highs and lows and worked at all the kinks and other places like Chicago and sign that guy. Yeah, you got to spend some more for him, but I'd rather spend a couple million extra for the veteran type guy than go spend a fourth round draft pick with low success rates anyway. So I always like that approach of let the other get let the other team, you know, figure this guy out and let him kind of take his lumps and then you go sign him. That's kind of what happened with Trubisky. A little weird route because he was signed to be the starter in 2022, but point is you're getting a veteran established backup for a reasonable amount of money it's not crazy high and of course Kenny Pickett on his rookie deal it's a cheap quarterback room overall so all of that to say is it's a pretty good place to be for the Pittsburgh Steelers and look 5.7 new money average is is you know that's cheap you know uh, especially with the cap continuing to go up and all like that now you don't have to worry you know you hope you don't have to worry about it for the next couple of years how much, I know that we don't know the exact number on Rudolph, but we can probably put a good guesstimate on it. How much cap space will be tied up in the Steelers quarterback room of Pickett, Trubisky, and Rudolph for 2023? Do you know what that number roughly could look like? Uh, as far as cap dollars goes? You can do cash or cap, but but at least cap, to, because I just want to know the allocation of, of money of the the top three there. Okay. I, I would look once again for Trubisky's cap number to probably drop by about four, 4 million. So that's 6.625 there. Uh, Rudolph, I'm kind of estimating him to come in uh, around what uh, uh, Zach Gentry's was around a cap number of 1.2325, something like that. So that puts us around, I don't know what, uh, 8 million. And then Kenny Pickett's uh, number this year is where is it? Obviously, it's not crazy. Uh, crazy three, high. three, almost three point two. Okay, so call it a little, a little over eleven million for the quarterback room. I think that's a really cheap way to go about that when you look at the room kind of as a whole. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree there for sure, absolutely. And now we'll so, just wait to see what the exact details are. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have that for Monday's show. Actually, I don't know if I don't know if we'll know the numbers by Monday in terms of when numbers get updated. Um, but hopefully sooner than later on that. So 
Yeah, I mean, what else does Omar Khan have for us? I mean, that is a, a big surprise there. So any other final thoughts on the Trubisky extension news, Dave? No, nah, just uh just now just waiting uh uh once again for the for the exact numbers to come in. All right. In less exciting Steelers uh transactional news, and this was officially announced on Thursday, Pittsburgh uh was sitting at eighty-eight guys on their ninety man roster ahead of Tuesday's upcoming OTAs, and now they're at eighty-nine with the signing of offensive tackle Dylan Cook, an undrafted free agent out of Montana in twenty twenty two. Spent last year in Tampa Bay on their practice squad, signed a futures contract in January, was waived after rookie minicamp, and is now in Pittsburgh as a Steeler. Really cool backstory. He was a quarterback for a couple years in college at Montana Northern, Montana State Northern, and then he switched and, and transferred to Montana, bulked up, became their right tackle for the, his last couple of seasons in college. And he goes about 6'6", 300 plus pounds with 33 and a half inch arms. And so um, he's a guy that's going to be some tackle depth. And we knew this team was was going to sign at least one more tackle because just from a number, you know, roster construction standpoint for your 90, they were one light. We thought it would be that XFL tackle, Chidi Akoki, and obviously that did not uh, pan out. So Dylan Cook is now number 89 on this roster. Uh, we've, we finally got the tackle room filled up, didn't we? <laughs> finally uh, did. Uh, and I expect that to just be a one-year deal for the minimum. That should come in at 750000 uh, he's just had, I think he just has uh practice squad experience overall. Uh, I don't think right. he's uh, appeared in the NFL game yet. And all. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he can hang on and, 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 you know, compete, maybe be a guy for the practice squad, uh, as time goes on. But, you know, we've said several times, especially heading into the draft, they had what three tackles under contract heading into the draft in Dan Moore, Jr., uh, uh Corfor and LaRaven Clark. And now you've got a handful more on, on top of it. So, uh, I, I wouldn't expect, you know, barring injury them, them to probably add any more tackles on their 90 man, 90 man roster. Yeah. You still think me if they're a little bit light there, usually you want, you know, six, you would think three teams, three offensive line groupings, you got two tackles each. And so they're sitting at kind of five. I mean, cook is four. I mean, Spencer Anderson probably plays some tackle for you, so you can kind of call him five. I don't know if somebody's going to be kicking out or doing something else there. So, you know, I wonder if they're going to keep looking for some extra tackle depth maybe later uh, in the offseason. Well, we got a long time. Uh, you got uh, several OTA practices to get and a mandatory mini camp to go before even training camp starts. So uh, we got plenty of time to watch that for sure. Sure. And still one spot remaining, of course, and barring any sort of release or any other news that comes across. So they will be, I assume, signing somebody else before Tuesday. Maybe that's an edge guy. They are clearing some calf space here. So they wanted to go sign a more veteran type for region. That would be on the table, I'm sure. Uh, inside linebacker, potentially. They bring in Quan Alexander. He's left without a contract. And so could they still look to add to that position? That does feel a bit thin. All things to think about. It may not be a big name kind of guy, although, again, it could be but they are going to sign at least one more guy here probably in the coming uh, couple of days for Pittsburgh. Yeah. And it won't, you know, whoever, look, they, and we, we try to re everybody wants to say, well, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're clearing this cap space. What does it mean for starters? The, the, you got to look at this Trubisky deal as them wanting him around past first and foremost, the main reason of that was, was to keep him past 2023. So right. a byproduct of that is that uh, you lower his cap number, right? And 
you know, I, I would like to think that probably when they sat down with their meetings uh, ahead, ahead of the offseason that and, and, and trying to map out what they wanted to get done, that, you know, Trubisky would be in their plans and that their cap situation uh, probably had, you know, two two ways to go, either getting them done or not getting them done uh, there. Uh, at any point, you know, we I want to reemphasize this. You can find a way to add, you know, uh, to this roster, especially the cap space that they had before uh, uh, this Trubisky deal, you know, because, you know, first years, you know, if you're talking about even a one-year deal at $3 million for a player, you, 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 you could have fit that in. And obviously for, for a multi-year deal, uh, the first year cap hits usually is, 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 is on the lower side with that. So you can make that work. So I know everybody's getting excited. Well, you know, you know look, they cut Witherspoon and, 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 and extended, uh, Trubisky and clearing this cap space. What does it mean? Uh, I mean, you, you still got one roster spot open, obviously. And if you're going to add, you know, you, you could go three different directions with this <laughs> spot, right? Slot corner, uh, inside linebacker with like a Quan Alexander or an edge rusher, right? You know, uh, so I just would temper expectations as far as the, you know, the, the value of such a player at, at, sure. at this point. Yeah, just to be clear, the release of Witherspoon, the extension of Trubisky was not done with the specific primary intent of clearing cap space that's the byproduct of okay witherspoon otas are coming up we know you're not making the team let's all just you know wipe our hands clean so you don't come into otas get hurt we're kind of stuck with you and trubisky is he wants to get the deal done you say yes let's get the deal done today and omar khan's been pretty aggressive about getting these deals done earlier than later minko last june trubisky now in may deontay was not done a 12th hour deal it was in camp but it wasn't the last second like Watt like Troy years back and so same with Chris Boswell so Omar Khan is basically the mindset of let's not mess around you if you want to get a deal done let's get it done let's get it done early all right so uh Highsmith up next before camp starts right and yeah and and who knows when that can happen tomorrow for all we know is the way the way that uh Omar Khan's going at this thing yeah yeah and was it Minka done uh right after OTAs and and in the middle of June it was in June. I don't know the exact timeline based on OTAs, but yeah, it was early. It was done in, in June. Because, I mean, do you really want to get in another situation where, you know, Highsmith says, you know what, I, you know, you know, the old, the old lock in or, or, uh, the hold in, uh, type situation, not, not saying that he would do that, but you know, uh, uh, if he's wait, if he knows that there's a potential of a deal coming, he probably w- wouldn't want to risk it too much, you know, in, in camp. So uh, if we learned anything last season about, you know, them, you know, obviously they didn't get Deontay done until after, after camp started, but uh, uh, you know, maybe there is a chance that they get them done earlier. And I do wonder if these kind of new age hold-ins are kind of pushing teams like Pittsburgh to get some of these deals done earlier. Yeah. Deontay wasn't done until mid camp, but he was, back practicing, I don't know, it was a week or a half, week and a half, two weeks into camp. So he still got the preseason and, you know, got a, a good chunk of the summer to, to, to ramp up. And so, you know, used to, obviously in Pittsburgh, if you hold out, they're not going to negotiate. That's been the longstanding rule for quite some time. So before the hold-in became popular, guys would just have to come and practice. And there wasn't a lot of pressure on Pittsburgh to get a deal done right away. But I think with these hold-ins and, and the, you know, negative effects that come along with that, not getting reps, being a bit rusty and trying to, you know, get ready for the season. 
probably puts a bit of pressure on the team to let's get this thing done early so we can kind of avoid just any of the messiness that comes with the Holden. I'm kind of expecting a Highsmith deal before camp now. Yeah, the rate this thing goes. Um, and then again, just to kind of go back to what this team could use for that 90th spot, it may be somebody like a Dylan Cook that's not a big name, but you know, Kyle Van Noy, go bring him in. Somebody that can play off ball, can play some edge. Um, I think that would be, you know, a good fit for Pittsburgh. I agree. Uh and and we've you know we've we've written a couple of posts about him as well too. And uh it it, it would match up if he would be the guy, especially you know, on a deal kind of similar to what he had last year with uh, with the Chargers and all. So may- maybe that's a name to watch. Yeah. So we'll let you know who that 90th guy is. Again, I would expect that name to be known uh, pretty soon, probably by Monday is my guess. But we'll just let you know whenever that information rolls in. Dave, I know that the whole conversation right now is the Mason Rudolph signing the Trubisky extension. TJ Watt falling into his own pool, all that kind of stuff. But the best news, the biggest news, the news that grabs me the most is they're hiring two more scouts. And I love the scouting stuff. I love the front office movement. And so reportedly not made official by the team, but reportedly team will be hiring two scouts for this upcoming draft cycle in Jim Ward and Zach Crockett. Crockett probably more, well, Ward's a familiar name, but Zach Crockett, a more familiar specific name, the former fullback for the Raiders. Um, he was scouting with them. He's now coming into Pittsburgh and Jim Ward, a Pittsburgh native, previously with Philadelphia. He'll come back with Andy Weidel and be a scout for the Steelers. And so that's some front office uh, additions and shuffling to talk about. All right. Uh, and I know you watch that like a hawk. I do. And just to add some quick context of what these guys might be doing, they're area scouts. And so I expect Ward, who's been a Midwest area scout, to replace Mark Gorsuch, who's stepping down in his role after almost 30 years in Pittsburgh. Gorsuch for a long time was the Southern area scout in 2023. He became the Midwest area scout, basically replacing what Dan Clover did when he was an area scout before his promotion upward in Pittsburgh's front office. I believe he's now the director of college scouting. And so with Gorsuch gone, you got to replace that territory. Ward should do that. Zach Crockett's been a Southeastern scout for a long time. He's from Florida, went to Florida State. And so he should replace our old friend Rick Verpreche, who was gone after 2022. Mm. Pittsburgh never really replaced that territory for 2023. It was kind of a bit of Mark Sadowski, some Phil Kreidler, a little bit kind of sort of Daniel Rooney Jr. So there really was nobody to truly cover that region. And so I assume Crockett's being brought in to really have a more dedicated guy for this 2023-2024 draft cycle. We're going to have to reprogram our face recognition software. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in the comments on the Crockett signing said, if you could... uh let Dave and Alex know your your hat color would be appreciated, <laughs> so uh, we don't have to go go searching for it. But we're gonna we're gonna find it there, uh, Mister Crockett. Yeah, yeah, we will. If if you're there, uh, uh, the the camera will get you. They all they they usually always do. Uh, that's funny, and uh, uh, I I don't know if we're gonna at some point be able to have uh, 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 Mark Gorsick on. Uh, I think we're kind of in the background kind of efforting that uh here it'd be nice to talk to him you know before training camp uh gets underway and maybe he'll 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 agree to do 15 minutes with us or something but that might he's he's on twitter he's got to see that stuff that we put <laughs> put out there right on, on i him. hope so 
and and I, I don't know. We might it might be a little bit awkward there. Uh, uh, when we, they have, you know, Omar Khan was talking, did you hear, uh, Khan talking about the process and on, on McAfee and, you know, the things, how they might want to change to be less, less predictable and all like that. And, um, they have to see that stuff, you know, and, and look, <laughs> you know, uh, although it wouldn't be good for business for us, you know, it, it, it does seem like this past year in the, in the pre-draft process not a whole heck of a lot changed and it, it made it super easy on us to you know process of elimination and all like that you and look you could probably you know if, if you did that with every team around sure. the league you know come up with so but how many how many how many teams around it uh, around the league have a what's essentially a 23 year cycle now and 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 let's face it that's what it is right even though we've only been a part of it for you know half that time but uh, and really a little bit less than that when we started getting religious about it. But I mean, we know what to look for. We know how to kind of, you know, decipher it and, right. and, 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 and go from there. So anyway, I, I, I that, that, that's funny. It'd be, it would be interesting to, to get uh, Mark Gorsek on and I, I would, I, I could come up with some good questions for him and I know you could too. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's tons of stories. You're right. I, Pittsburgh's a, a predictable team, but that's partly because we study it so intently. You can just can't come off the street and know who they're going to want, who they're going to take. You really have to kind of you know work at it. And I think to your point, although Pittsburgh's had that turnover recently because that core is in place of Omar Khan, who was trained by you know Kevin Colbert, and Mike Tomlin being here, Art Rooney being here. You know, if you're in these other places where they're changing GMs and head coaches every four seconds. By the time you get a feel for somebody's tendency, they're gone and a new you know regime is in and you got to relearn the whole thing. And so um, it's probably a lot harder to, you know, figure out what the Texans are doing because they're changing coaches every single mm-hmm. you know season. So I think there's certainly that continuity that makes them just more predictable because there is that continuity. And then you also have a lot of scout turnover when new GNs at all come, come in as well, too. You know, right. Although Pittsburgh's had quite a bit for the longest time, right. those scouts were, you know, firmly cemented in place and partly because they're all getting older and retiring. Phil Kreidler is probably next to retire here. I'd imagine soon, maybe next year. Um, but you're getting, you know, quite a bit of turnover in the scouting staff for the first time in a long time for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, uh, you, you are correct, sir. All right, Dave, we do, we do have a couple more pieces of news to get to. But we'll take a pause here and come back with our uh, Steelers Depot roundtable of Jonathan Hytrader, Josh Carney, and Tyler Wise to get their thoughts on the draft, their impact in the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll take a break and come back with the guys. Are adventure and relaxation on your mind? Jump in the car and head to Fauquier County, Virginia this weekend. Just a short drive from D.C. off I-66 and nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Fauquier County has it all, including picturesque hiking trails, Rappahannock River access, plus over 25 wineries, breweries, and cideries. Visit the many unique shops and farm-to-table restaurants of Fauquier County's towns and villages, or take in the many historical attractions suitable for all ages. Check out visitfauquiercounty.com. That's visit, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R.com. Fauquier County. Find what you love. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as promised at the top of the show, another part two of the Steelers Depot Roundtable with Josh Carney, Tyler Wise, and Jonathan Hightritter. Appreciate all the work these guys have put in over draft season and post-draft, which has felt just as busy as the, the pre-draft process. So want to thank you guys for all being here. Kind of a partly, you know, draft review show, but also partly now that the draft is a couple weeks away, looking towards, I think, maybe more specifically 
how these rookies can impact Pittsburgh in 2023. So, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Just ask the big blanket question, and I know it's kind of vague, but you know what rookie or maybe you know rookies in terms of the top two guys that you think could really make the biggest impact on the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2023. Yeah, so just kind of looking at like the drafted in its entirety and where guys were kind of drafted and slotted in the positions, like I think you kind of have to start at the top with uh, left tackle Baradrick Jones and just if he has the opportunity to win the job in camp or say early on in the season, if Dan Moore struggles, I think just like his athleticism and what he brings, particularly in the run game, especially being able to play next to a vet, potentially like Isaac Sayamalu, will just be able to open this running game up even more to where it was like at the end of the 2022 season. I think just that athleticism is just a very big thing that he kind of brings to the table. And then when you're kind of looking at the guys in the second round, obviously Joy Porter Jr. is kind of a guy that you look at but I think a guy that could kind of see the field like more early on especially in the front line is Keanu Benton especially getting in that role is probably a rotational maybe nose tackle and then being able to stay on the field in sub packages just because of the pass rush upside that he does bring while not being like a Stefan Tewitt or Cam Hayward type of pass rusher I definitely think that he can be a guy that rotates in with like Cam Hayward Larry Ogunjobi and sub packages and gives you that pass rush juice that you know Pittsburgh really hasn't had in their backup defensive linemen. So I think he can be able to contribute in a rotation role at nose, as well as being able to contribute as a sub package pass rusher. Tyler, your thoughts just overall on the draft class as a whole, uh, top to bottom, your impressions of the hall that Pittsburgh got. Yeah. I mean, obviously we were all excited about it. Um, I, I think it was probably the first one where, you know, I, f- I feel like every single guy that the Steelers took, um, you would have been okay with them taking them around earlier. Um, so that, that was obviously encouraging. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm really excited just to see how, um, just to focus on one particular guy. I mean, Darnell Washington, um, he was someone that uh, obviously I was, I was excited about. Um, I, I talked about bringing in a tight end probably early on in the, in the, in the draft process, but it was really only kind of focused on Darnell because of his blocking ability. Um, just cause he, he's just such a, a big, big dude. And, uh, I was watching some Project Jones tape yesterday and just again, watching Darnell just move guys on the outside, watching guys down the line, um, getting blocks on the outside with screens and, you know, uh, jet sweeps and things like that. I mean, he's going to be a, a true weapon, um, to use. Um, it's going to be really exciting to see how they, uh, incorporate him in the offense this year. Tyler, uh, we, uh, you know, all of us, we've had, you know, Jonathan, uh, obviously writing ab- about the subject and, and, and Josh has as well. And Alex and I have talked, uh, quite a bit about, uh, uh, Nick Herbig on the podcast since, you know, before he was drafted and since he was drafted, obviously, but, uh, uh, and I think we might've talked a little bit with you pre-draft about him, but where do you weigh in, uh, on, on Nick Herbig, you know, positionally and, you know, post-draft now? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always kind of viewed Herbig as an inside guy. I mean, it's tough because obviously it's tough when there's zero, zero tape of where you kind of project him to play. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't see him keeping him outside. I just don't see as a long-term solution. Um, I forget who, who, I don't know if it was Alex or Josh just had the, a great article the other day about uh, his run, run defense um, on the edge. And, I mean, I think that's really where it comes down to. I mean, I mean, last year he did have, you know, his pass rush win rate, I think was like 23.9%. 
um, for PFF. And, uh, you know, that's obviously a good weapon to have there, but that's probably, I would say that probably limits you to, you know, eight to 10, you know, snaps a game on the outside. So, um, I mean, I think if they can, you know, start to incorporate him inside and, and, you know, play there, uh, kind of the same trajectory as Lawrence Timmons was actually somebody I was just looking up his, I love that uh, relative athletic score kind of compared tool and him and Lawrence Simmons actually line up pretty perfectly. Um, so it's kind of funny to just kind of see how that's kind of exactly how he was kind of viewed when he was coming in, he was an outside linebacker. They're like, is he going to play inside or outside? And then he obviously found his home inside. So I'm hoping that's where um, he ends up. Um, obviously, I mean, he has great hand usage as well. I mean, on the outside, he, you know, he had a lot of good chops, swipes, you know, push and pulls and things. And I think that translates well to him moving inside because, I mean, I, I I view being an inside linebacker, the number one t- thing for me is seeing if guys can block shed. Um, and I think he can definitely do that with his quickness, with his hand usage and everything like that. So um, it will really just kind of be coming down to, you know, seeing the field from, you know, obviously a, a different view. And if he can, you know, adjust those angles and reading the, the offense and pools and everything like that um, will be good. So, um Obviously, there still has, you know, we don't know what he's like in man coverage, even even at Wisconsin, he was really only uses zone drop. So that will obviously be another transition. But his athletic profile doesn't really necessarily say he can't do that either. So it's all going to be something we hopefully see through training camp in the preseason and uh, go from there. Uh, my my next question would be you know, to, to all of you. What is the when you turn on the tape with Joey Porter Jr., what is the first thing that sticks out to you about him? either positively or negatively. This guy is long, man. Like he is super long. Like you look at just his height, you know, standing a little over six foot two and just like that arm length. Like I think he recorded like over 34 inch arms or at the cornerback position, which is just ridiculous. Like his hands are just dangling to his, his, like his knees and just seeing that length on tape, just, you know, when he like sets up in like a press man situation at the line of scrimmage, like his arms are kind of like cocked back, ready to go, ready to give that one arm jab. And you just see that length, like, you know, he's not the quickest guy when it comes to like, you know, his transitions and being able to click and close, but at the same time, just his length and his like size and his frame allow him to still be in position to at least contest passes even when he may be a step off. So like for me, I had a second round grade on Joey Porter Jr. at the very start of the pre-draft process, just because I was like concerned in terms of like his spatial awareness, being able to play the ball in the air all the time, being able to just, he still deals with being a little bit grabby, uh, kind of like what he struggled with a lot the year prior. He kind of cut down on that this year, but still some that you see pop up and tape against, especially some against some of the best receiving competition that he faced. And he just kind of can be a little bit slows in in his transitions just because he's naturally a little bit more tight hip being a taller more angular player but just that length and that size will always allow him to be in position unless he like gets badly burnt on a rep so that's something that definitely sticks out with him is just that overall length that he brings to the position which is so rare josh yeah, I think it's that length and, and that physicality. I mean, there's games where he just absolutely swallows up receivers. And, um, you know, of course, some of those receivers he played in the Big Ten were were smaller than what you're going to see week to week in the NFL. But it, it, it's certainly eye-opening, that length and physicality that he has at the position, the comfort he has, you know, in press at the line of scrimmage. As Jonathan th- Jonathan said, he, he is a little tight-hipped. His transitions are a little rough at times, but I mean, when he gets his hands on you, he, he can really control you at the line of scrimmage and and really take away one side of the field. And I'm, I'm curious to see 
how that translates uh, to the NFL because he's going to be facing, you know, bigger, faster, stronger receivers, guys that are very good at beating press. Um, so I'm curious to see how he develops in, in that area at the NFL. But the length is is truly impressive. And I think there was that clip that the Steelers posted of him walking into the facility, um, you know, ahead of rookie minicamp. And, and you could just see the length. It looked like he could scratch his knees standing there. Um, so that's that's going to be something to watch. And that's something that's definitely jumping off the tape for me when I go back through his Penn State stuff. Todd, you, you like uh, jumping into the wide receiver and defensive back tape? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, obviously his physicality uh, jumps off the tape there, but also um, just his swagger and his, uh, his demeanor of how he plays the game will definitely be a, a nice thing to see on the outside there. Um, I, I, I mean, he has some great tape against, you know, Garrett Wilson in 2021, um, so, some good reps against Marvin Harrison Jr. in 2022. So he's definitely not not scared to uh, to face anybody out there. And I think one thing to, to take note of uh, will be, uh, I think it'll be really fun to watch him and Pickens kind of line up in, at Latrobe. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, you saw a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little maybe fighting, some, some drawing <laughs> back and forth at Latrobe between those two. Uh, but also, I think it would be big for him to face uh, Deontay Johnson at training camp. I think he'll be somebody that, you know, uh, with, with JPJ's kind of movement, I think will actually kind of give him some struggles. And I think that would be a good thing to see, uh, similar to how, you know, Artie Burns and AB kind of face each other. Um, obviously taking your lumps, but all from learning. Hopefully he learns a little bit better than Artie Burns. But at the same time, I think they'll be a good person to, to go against and, and learn from. But, yeah, I mean, JPJ was super fun to watch. I mean, seeing him at the Purdue game. Uh, I think it was the first game of the season I watched live. And that was really where, you know, it was kind of floated around where it was like Joey Port Jr., you know, Steelers, everything like that for obvious reasons. But when I watched that game and saw how he kind of suffocated them and, you know, quick game and uh, every time they targeted him, I think he it felt like he got the hand, hands on the ball. So uh, that that's just the type of player he can be. And it was uh, exciting for him to be there at 32. Yeah, six pass breakups in that Purdue game, probably his best of the season. Josh, to go back to you and to stick with another big corner that was taken later in seventh round pick, Corey Trice Jr., who I think we all understood talent-wise, tape-wise, a better player than seventh round great, but there's some medical concerns there. Where do you see him potentially fitting in this defense on this team in 2023? Obviously, there may not be a role for him right away, but could he have any impact? beyond special teams for Pittsburgh his rookie season? Yeah, I think that's kind of tough to project right now because we don't really know what he's going to be. He could be that sub-package corner. Obviously, he was a safety early on in college, um, moved to corner, and obviously worked his way into being a draftable guy. But he's another long physical corner, has some really good tape. Hopefully, the, the, you know, the knee is checked out at this point. Uh, but I just don't know that he's going to have that type of impact uh, right away here in 2023. Obviously, there's been some moves on the depth chart that have certainly gone uh, his his way at this point with Akella Witherspoon being released, Arthur Millette released as well. Um, but I think projecting and maybe potentially expecting him to have a role here uh, this upcoming season is a bit of a stretch. But uh, he's a guy that probably without the medicals should have gone second, third round. Uh, so it would not shock me if he works his way into a role here uh, in, in Pittsburgh, kind of like a Levi Wallace early on. Jonathan Steeler signed six undrafted free agents after the draft. And David and I should have mentioned that we have signing bonuses for all those guys. And that model for Pittsburgh has not changed. It's a pretty cheap uh, class. that's not as attractive looking as, as some others, but 
give me a name of the six guys that were signed that you want to keep an eye on this summer, somebody that could really, you know, have a chance to stick on this team in some capacity. I think just kind of looking at the roster or the UDFAs that they brought in and the roster as it stands currently right now, we don't really know if they're going to bring in uh, another edge rusher or whatnot to compete possibly with Herbig. Does Herbig kick inside? And after that, okay, you have Quincy Roche and then who else? So I think Perales from Fresno State makes a lot of sense for me. Just that guy that plays with his hair on fire. He doesn't have like the greatest size profile in the world in terms of like length, but he also kind of fits the mold of like not this like super long kind of like more stout like aggressive pass rusher that pittsburgh has kind of found in the past with with the you know draft picks or udfas you just watch his film at fresno stage how he is able to get after the quarterback and be able to provide that pass rush i think he's a guy to kind of keep your eye on especially is able to make some plays early on in training camp and then yeah if he is able to make a couple of splash plays in the preseason you know record maybe two sacks maybe a forced fumble make a play or two on special teams i think that's his way to be able to get on the roster and you know, if Herbig doesn't stick at outside linebacker, they don't bring in like a Cal Van Noy or a seasoned vet. And he's competing with guys like, you know, Quincy Roche and other guys that are on the back end of the roster. I think he could easily find himself as that, you know, core special teamer and really work his way into that outside linebacker four. Tyler, I know you turned on uh, uh, the, the Perales tape. Uh, the one thing I know that jumped out, of, out at me in looking is just uh, his his, 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 there's, there's a lot of effort sacks in there. Uh, I, I know overall, just the overall effort on him. What, what jumped out about you about Perales? Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of touched base on it. His motor was kind of unrelenting. I I know there was a few plays against USC last year that it was like, uh, I think, I think Caleb Williams was running around for about 20 seconds and Perales finally got him down there. So, I mean, I think that's really the, the biggest thing. I mean, I, I kind of saw some uh, like Anthony Ciccolo to his game, kind of just that type of player. Um, not not super high ceiling or anything like that, but um, I, I think he'll, you know, it, he probably maybe may make some plays on special teams. And, you know, he'll definitely be a, a guy that can probably get some motor sacks if, if there are, you know, t- take the coverage. If there's good coverage in the back end and everything, I'm not sure if you're going to see him win too cleanly. Um But, yeah, I mean, if we're going off of UDFA guys, too, I, I got to talk a little bit about Jordan Bird um from san diego state um he's somebody that um you know i I don't see him probably making the team but you know if he has some he's a you know kick return guy that averaged you know 25 yards uh per kick return in his career at san diego state through five seasons um he he did a little bit in the passing game as well and they they had him as a running back i think the steelers might have listed him as a receiver though um they do yeah they do yeah, so that I mean that'll be interesting to see there. Um, he was a you know state champion, I think I want to say three or four times state champion, uh, track track and field runner um, for a hundred meter dash in in New Mexico. Um, so that would definitely be kind of interesting to see him. You know, it would be exciting to see some second when you, you're sitting back in the second half of some preseason games and and seeing him return from kicks will be fun. Um, I'm not sure he didn't really have as much success as punt returns. He only averaged about six six yards. Uh, for, for that. So, um, but he does have a pump return touchdown as well. So if he can, you know, return one or two here in the preseason, you know, maybe he does, you know, uh, open up a spot for him. But uh, from there, it's probably the most exciting guy, I would say, uh, for me in the uh, UDFA class. He, he'd have to pull a Stefan Logan is what you're saying, right? 
Exactly. <laughs> we we talk. It seems like every year we talk about uh, poor Stephon Logan. He just he he gets mentioned in that light, but uh, without a doubt, he was given you know because of uh, that 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 you know what he did that one preseason there ended up uh, making the fifty three man roster, and I you know, I'm sure. Mike Tomlin brings that up to these guys, you know, every off season as part of, Hey, you could be this guy here. Uh, Alex, go ahead. Just to kind of look towards the Steelers 2023 season, Josh, I'll start with you. What's your outlook on this team? I think it's a better roster. It's a clearer, more cohesive plan and vision for how Pittsburgh wants to win. But of course the AFC North is ultra competitive. The AFC at large has the majority of the best quarterbacks in football what are your feelings about the Steelers team as we sit here on May 19th? I got to say, I'm I'm pretty high on this team overall. I mean, yeah, there's still some some question marks and some holes, you know, depth at inside linebacker, depth behind TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith at outside linebacker, slot corners up in the air. But Omar Khan did a really good job of, of addressing the holes on this roster, bringing in guys that clearly fit what they want to do on both sides of the football uh, you know, and then building off of what they did last season in the second half, going seven and two down the stretch, there's a clear identity. I think that that style works for them and certainly works in the NFL today. It's it's all cyclical and it feels like that power rushing attack is coming back and Pittsburgh's, you know, at the head of the curve here in a sense. But I, I'm high on this team. I know the AFC North is going to be very difficult I know the AFC overall is loaded, but uh, this team grew up last year. Uh, they they certainly got the growing pains out of the way, and I think it's all going to come down to if Kenny Pickett can take that that step forward in year two. But he's got all the tools around him. The offensive line is rebuilt in a big way. Feel very good about that group heading into the year. Defense, as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be one of the best ones in the league. Um, I, I'm very high on this team. I don't want to put a number on wins at this point, but. Uh, I, I just I feel good about it, uh, and I think a lot of Steeler fans will as well. Jonathan, let me ask you kind of a slightly different way. Do you like the plan that Pittsburgh's building? And it seems to me their plan is let's be countercultural to the, to where most of the NFL sits today in terms of the high flying offenses, big aerial attacks. You know, going to score thirty plus points per game. I think Pittsburgh says we're not going to be able to compete with the Mahomes, the Josh Allen's of the world. Let's play bully ball. Let's control the ball. Let's win time of possession. Let's play the best defense by putting Mahomes on the sidelines. Do you think that's a plan that could A, work in the regular season, but B, more importantly, could that plan work in a playoff game against one of those top offenses? Yeah, I'm going to quote uh, Mike Tomlin and he's saying like, if you have red paint, you paint the barn red. So it's just you look at what you have at your disposal. And while we have yet to see like if Kenny Pickett can take that next step in terms of being this team's franchise quarterback and what does that exactly mean can he be Ben Roethlisberger-esque is he a shade be under underneath that like is he a guy that you want throwing the ball 45 50 times a game or is he a guy that you want to throw 20 25 maybe 30 times a game but you know find the identity of your offense in a power running game and I'd like the idea and the identity that the Steelers are in, embracing, especially on the offensive side of the ball of zigging when everyone else is zagging in terms of embracing that high flying passing offense, just because you look 
it just kind of at the quarterback specifically in the ASC, like whether it be Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, like Kenny Pickett physically is not in the same category as those guys, but you look at what he does well, like what he had in his, those clutch moments down the stretch against the Raiders and against the Ravens, being able to methodically move the offense down the field, cutting down on the turnovers in the second half of the season and being able to put this team in position to win games late. So you look at that and you look at what they currently had in terms of a first round pick on with running back at Najee Harris and just being able to support Pickett the best he can. I think they did a great job of building an offense that can kill you in multiple different ways, but is centered around, okay, if we can run the ball, we're going to run the ball until you can't stop us anymore. Kind of like what the Tennessee Titans like to do with Derrick Henry. And, you know, the Titans weren't very good this past year, but in the past, like they've had a lot of success in the regular season and they've made some noise in the playoffs as well, too. I think getting like, as far as like almost AFC champions, championship game just a few years ago uh is it a recipe for success to be able to outdo a Mahomes and Allen that can score in a blink of an eye possibly not I mean that's where you have to really focus on building up this defense the right way and I think that Khan and Andy Weidel in the front office has done a very good job of looking at you know the trenches being able to invest there being able to invest in quality cover men to be able to complement the offense as well too but I think that you know based off of what they have at their disposal they're able to create a winning football team that should be at least able to compete with these like AFC powerhouse teams compared to like when they walked into Buffalo last year, everyone knew they were going to kind of get slapped and they did get slapped. They have a team that can control the clock that can play uh, stout defense much like they did in the second half of the season. And yeah, I think this is a team that can, you know, make a, that should make a push for the playoffs, at least as a wild card. And, you know, if things break right, maybe split with the Bengals split with the Ravens and, you know, maybe push for the AFC North. Tyler, I think still, despite all the upgrades that Pittsburgh has made, everything kind of comes down to Kenny Pickett. So what do you think Kenny Pickett has to do in year two to make that jump? Not to be on a Mahomes level, obviously, but just to become somebody that can really compete and win a playoff game. What's something he really has to do in order to make that jump? Yeah, so I think we have to, you know, see him win win games with his arm. Um, you know, there were plenty of games during, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's career that we saw, you know, him duel out duel some people. Um, and even even thinking back to his last year, the, the duel he had with Justin Herbert, which they eventually lost. But you know, th- those are the types of games I think that you saw the Steelers not be able to stay in last year. Obviously, the Bills game, um, the first Bengals game, it started out well, um, but then that kind of died off too. So I mean. I think that's really uh, where we haven't seen him win yet. We've seen him, you know, have those late, you know, late fourth quarter drives, which is great. That's, you know, it's obviously something that, you know, he's proven winner in that way. He's not, you know, afraid of the moment. Um, but we really haven't seen any games yet uh, that, you know, he's, you know, thrown for, you know, four touchdowns, 300 yards, stuff like that. That, you know, really just kind of being like, you know, teams are, you know, loading up to stop the run. Got to be in with the pass and. Uh, that's that's I think really where we're going to see him make his big jumps um, going into this year. I want to stay with uh, Tyler here, much like uh, you know Owen Straley has become kind of our DB go-to guy uh, uh, when it comes to the tape and 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 
pre-draft and, and in season, you've kind of done that with the wide receiver position overall. I know you really get into the tape uh, on, on the wide receiver stuff in season here. Uh, reception perception, which I think they do an absolutely phenomenal uh, job with uh, the metrics and, 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 and the charting and everything that they do. Uh, I'm sure you uh, probably recently, you know, kind of read the stuff that they put out there on George Pickens, and I think you know more more so the separation aspect of his game. Uh, where are you at right now on George Pickens overall with his game coming out of his rookie season into his second season? Yeah, so I know I saw there was a little bit of an uproar about about that, and I, I mean I, I thought. I thought what they said about, I mean, he, he didn't create separation last year. I mean, that was something that, uh, you know, we kind of talked about a good bit. I mean, he still has to improve greatly as a route runner. Um, you know, there's only so many times, so many, you know, goes and, and things you can kind of go through. Yeah, exactly. There's only so many times that I can, I mean, if it's, if that's your one trick pony, it's a little, it's not what you initially think is it one trick pony, like Mike Wallace just going deep, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he he definitely is still super raw as a route runner and being able to, you know, notice, you know, holes in zones and sit in them. And um, I, I, hopefully he's working, you know, a little bit with Deontay and, and, and they're not the same player by any means. So it's, he's never going to be a Deontay type, you know, route runner by by any means. But uh, I mean, that's something that he definitely has to work on this year. I mean, just just getting the, uh, you know, getting all the nuance of the position down. Um, and he, he, we knew that coming out, too. I mean, that was something that, you know, he didn't didn't play a ton at Georgia. Obviously he was injured for a good portion of that. So, I mean, I, I think he's in a good spot, but saying that, I, I think, I don't even know what metric they were saying about him being uh, a poor zone zone player, I guess, um, which was one of the first things I, I I've actually never even heard of, of that before as a receiver. But um, you know, I think there there's definitely great parts of his game, but even having a guy like Allen Robinson in the room too, is something that, you know, we, we've talked about having a veteran presence in the room. They haven't really had one. I mean, I guess you can say Antonio Brown, but how, how good of a veteran presence truly was he? I'm not exactly sure, but, <laughs> um, but you know, even so, someone like Juju too. I mean, I, I never really saw him as a guy, you know, being that veteran presence. He was a super young kid. And, you know, I, I just don't think that was really his role at that point yet. So having somebody like Allen Robinson in the room that can truly, you know, knows how to be an NFL player truly will help. I think everybody, everybody there. So, um, and, and even so, I mean, even having him out there, you know, I'm sure you'll see him split out wide a good bit. Um, even though we see him kind of as that big slot role, um, you know, moving him around the offense as well would be fun to watch. And uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll teach George Pickens a, a thing or two as well. At, at, uh, even after the draft at this point right now, it seems like the, the, most of the lines out there as far as win totals, the over under on that is, is still right around eight and a half uh, overall. And I, you know, as objective as I like to be, and I'm, I'm you know, as Alex likes to be uh, even so, uh, the Steelers uh, finally announcing a new three-year contract for Mitchell Trubisky here. Uh, but, uh, of course, we knew that going into today, but they're making it official right now. So hopefully we'll have the terms out here pretty soon. But uh, back to what my, my point here, uh, eight and a half win total. Uh, I know I, I, I know I'm hammering the eight and a half over right now. I, I would imagine uh, Alex is as well. Uh, my question is, is what are we, what might we be missing as analysts uh, or as a fan base of why that win total is only eight and a half? I think you look at just the team in its entirety and how 
much like this is a much improved roster from head to toe compared to where it was a season ago. But I think the thing that you have to consider is like, does Kenny Pickett take a leap in year two? And how great is that leap? Like you look at how he played down the stretch last year. It was definitely improved from an on-field perspective. But then if you are just like, you know, scouting like the stats and whatnot, like he didn't have a very good statistical season for rookie quarterbacks. Like it was, he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. He had moments where he like would lock onto receivers. Um, and it's just, he wasn't throwing for a whole lot of passing yards. And again, like they threw for 12 touchdowns as a team last year. Like it was not good. So, you know, does he take a step forward and how great is that step forward? Especially when you're considering like the teams in the AFC, let alone the AFC North with Joe Burrow and the Bengals likely being the favorite right Right now, Lamar Jackson inking a new deal and being able to have that stability in Baltimore. And then you have the Cleveland Browns with the whole year of Deshaun Watson in a full offseason, as well as them making moves as well throughout the offseason, much like the Steelers have. So the big thing is just betting on Kenny Pickett to take that leap. And, you know, what if that's, you know, posting 3000 passing yards, 20 plus touchdowns, whatever it is, like he doesn't have to become a pro bowler by any stand by any standard, but he needs to take a big enough leap to be like, okay, this team can be a legitimate contender, not only in the AFC North, but also in the AFC and make this team like a relevant playoff team. Josh, why, why should somebody consider the under eight and a half? Uh, (laughs) That is that is a great question. Can I just say Matt Canada? I mean, that's that's got to be <laughs> that that feels like that's what it is at this point. There's still a lot of concerns about the the offense, uh, the play calling. You know, I, I mentioned earlier they don't really have any holes on the offensive side of the football. They've addressed a lot of it. They've added a lot of talent, but I think that Canada is kind of that dark cloud over the offense in a sense. You know, last year was not good. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination from a play calling and, and, and scheme standpoint. And he's still around. Um, you know, the, the players have improved offensively, but there is still a huge question mark uh, with the guy in charge of, of calling the plays. And then I think you can still kind of circle cornerback right now uh, as an outsider is maybe a potential concern. You've got a lot of unproven guys there behind Patrick Peterson, um, and Levi Wallace, you're going to be counting on a rookie, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, you know, Chandon Sullivan right now is penciled in as the slot option. And uh, by every metric, he was one of the worst in the league last year. Um, but I, I think if you're going to, you know, hit the under with the Steelers, I think it's because of the concerns of the offense and the inability to score points last year and, and not much changing uh, from a play calling perspective with Matt Canada. Tyler, how would you sell somebody to hammer the under of eight and a half? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything with the Steelers this year is going to be – it's not going to be a pretty football. I don't think it's ever been kind of the case in terms of what we're looking at with the Steelers. So it's going to be ugly, um, you know, and, and not necessarily in a bad way, but, I mean, it's going to be, you know, that slow, grinded-out type of game. Um, and, you know, it felt like the Steelers last year, if they gave up, you know, more than 21 points, it was like, well, that – well, the game's lost. So – um, just the way the game has changed. Uh, so, I mean, that that's kind of really what it comes down to. It are, are they able to score points? Um, or is their offense able to win games when their defense doesn't step up? Um, that's really last year really felt like it, the offense let down the defense way more than the other way around. Um, and then, you know, it came down to the end of the game and, you know, the defense would give up one touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. And then it would be like, oh, the defense lost the game. Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of where I think it comes down to is that if, if the offense can, you know, score some points, um, and take some, 
take some pressure off the the defense. But yeah, I mean, I, I what I was going to say before Josh talks was, yeah, I think the the defensive backs are, are definitely something to be scared of. Um, I, I think there's a lot of question marks there, and it's and even the the edge depth. I mean, that's something I still feel like really hasn't been addressed. And um, it, you know, if TJ Watt goes down, you know, whether it be in his pool or on the field, <laughs> um. We don't. I mean, what's going to happen there? Because then, if you don't have that pressure coming off, you know, Highsmith didn't really, uh, didn't. Re- Hopefully, he takes another step this year. But he wasn't necessarily like the force that we saw him when once Watt went down. So, um, if that's still, if they're failing to generate pressure, then you're obviously going to have even more pressure on those young cornerbacks um, and, and and everything like that. So, um, and the other thing is, obviously, with the the different names at cornerback, you're going to have a lot of different changing parts, communication differences from last year to this year in, in, in the back end, hopefully Mickey can fix that up. But I know that was something that, you know, him and him and Edmonds had a really strong, uh, you know, connection there in terms of communicating and, and Sutton too. Sutton, Sutton obviously had a, a big part of that as well. Just the communication between uh, everybody. And I thought there was a de- uh, pretty good, uh, you know, there wasn't many coverage busts last year. I think there was a few made by, you know, one, one player, you know, messing up, but for the most part, I, I think it was, it was pretty good on the back end there. And if, if they can still, if they're losing that cohesiveness, uh, is that going to be, you know, fixed up, you know, the first few games of the season? My last question for you guys, and I'll ask each of you guys for, for your thoughts here. If you only could pick one player to watch in training camp, or I should say maybe the player you're most excited to see, non-rookie, we'll say, then of the non-rookies, guys returning, most excited to see in training camp, who would it be? Jonathan, I'll start with you, the player you're most excited to watch for whatever reason in 2023 in camp. I think I'm going to go with a guy who's not a rookie, but I mean, you basically can consider rookie and wide receiver Calvin Austin just because we he's basically had a redshirt year. He's coming in fresh. I mean, he only had a couple practices in training camp last year before his foot injury, and he has this dynamic to the offense, especially to the wide receiver core. Like you have Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Allen Robinson, like guys that, you know, are good, like have decent speed, but they don't have that game changing speed that Austin has. And you just look at the running back room as well with Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, like again, good runners, but you're not going to like have any of them be this breakaway burning blazing speed kind of guy. So I think Austin can be this guy that adds a whole nother dynamic to this offense. Well, if it be as a screen, like jet sweep guy, well, if it be as a pass catcher, being able to create after the catch, just being able to make impact possibly in the return game. I think he's a guy that could really help open up this offense a little bit. And that's where I'm very excited to see how he builds off of the, just a few training camp practices he had last year and just kind of see how he can take that into preseason action. And if he can become a regular part of this offense, or if he's just going to be relegated to being more of a, like a gadget type of guy. Josh, the player you're most looking forward to watching come this summer. I'm going to say Landon Roberts. Uh, I really liked that signing. Uh, I thought he was an ideal buck linebacker for this team. I think he's going to bring that physicality back to this defense that they've kind of been missing since Vince Williams uh, left. So uh, I'm curious to watch him and I want to see how he works with Mark Robinson, see if he can bring Robinson along. Uh, But I think that was a a, a very underrated signing by the Steelers. I think he's going to step in as a real leader uh, of that linebacker room. And uh, I can't wait to see backs on backers. I want to see him go against Najee Harris and and Jalen Warren um, in those drills, because he brings that physical presence. He's a, he's a very good veteran leader. 
Uh, just really looking forward to seeing what he can bring as soon as he steps on the field there at St. Vincent. Tyler, same question to you. Play you're most excited to watch this summer. Yeah, I mean, you guys kind of took both of mine. I was going to go Calvin <laughs> Austin, and then, but uh, I mean, I, I, I'll I'll cheat a little bit and just say the entire linebacker room. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what's going to go on there. Um, you know, it looks like the Steelers are still you know adding guys. So, um, you know, Cole Holcomb, how is he going to play? Is Atlanta Roberts? How does he fit in? Um, you know, you got Tate Crowder there, Tanner Muse. Are they going to add Kyle Van Noy, Quan Alexander? We don't know what's going to happen there. I think that's really kind of the, the most exciting room to watch right now and the most question marks. Um, so really, that whole room is something that I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And I mean, I love that that Con kind of reviewed it and saw it. I mean, I think everybody knew it, but uh, just the fact that that room was very, very weak the last, you know, how many years. So uh, you said, screw it. Let's just completely turn it over and, and see what we got here. And uh, I really feel like I, I recently tweeted out a, a GIF about the, the, the look of the room is uh, that the scene from the the Batman movie where the Joker just breaks a, a pool cue in half and, and throws it on the ground and says, you know, <laughs> have at it. Um, and I really feel like that's kind of how the linebacker room feels right now um, in terms of who's going to who's going to really uh, come out on top. Dave, your, your thoughts on the player you're most excited to see. And then feel free. You can ask the final question here as we kind of wrap things up. But uh, your thoughts on, on, on the most exciting guy you want to see in, in camp. Well, uh, I can't have rookies, so uh, yeah, no rookies. Uh, uh, Washington would have been on that list. And I, 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 I talk a lot about you know Potabom and and you know just excited to see him play some fullback. Ah, uh, you know what? I I, I want to see Zach Gentry see if he can take that next step as a, uh, or get at least back to the level he was a couple of years ago with the blocking because. Uh, I think, you know, this team's going to run a lot of heavy stuff, obviously, uh, for the running game. And I've talked several times about Zach Gentry this offseason, how I don't think his roster spot should be absolutely guaranteed, especially with the money that they gave him. Uh, yes, they, 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 they went out and got uh, Washington. And, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Pat Fryermuth is going to be, you know, a, a big part of that offense, even in heavy personnel groupings. But what happens when you don't have one of those two guys uh, on the field? There are obviously going to be situations where Gentry has to be the uh, number one or number two and and potentially depending on injuries, you know, even even kind of the number one out there on the field. So uh, this offseason, I want to see Zach Gentry start playing up to that size uh, that he has and the experience that he has in the league. So uh, I, you know, I, I think that would be one of you know, a few that I'd put on that list there. All right. Fair enough. My answer, if anyone cares, is Mark Robinson, kind of like Landon Roberts. But I mean, I, I get why they brought Roberts in as some veteran depth, but he's the same dude as Mark Robinson. So just play Mark Robinson, the younger guy, the fresher guy, the cheaper guy. Uh, but I want to see him in year number two. I think he could be a guy that kind of gets it this year as, as opposed to last year was kind of just you know, flying by the seat of your pants. But Dave, go ahead and, and finish up the conversation here. All right, uh, Hakeem Butler, I have a full contextualization coming up on his 73 targets in the XFL. Uh, I've got to admit that after watching all the tape uh, uh, and comparing it to to the hype and what I remember, uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing jumping jacks. I'm not running around the room. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, as excited. I think there's a lot to be excited about him. I think he deserves a chance to be back in the NFL. Uh, but within that, you know, 
what are each of your guys kind of quick thoughts on Hakeem Butler and his chances of making a roster? Well, I'll dive in first just because I did the film room on Butler shortly after he signed and just being an Iowa guy, like being able to watch him and his progression from Iowa State when he was kind of second fiddle to Alan Lazard with the Cyclones and then how he kind of stepped into that main role the year before he got drafted. And I mean, you just like similar conversation to Joey Porter Jr. You just see the length on this guy. I think he's like six foot five and five eights, 220 plus pounds. I mean, he has like nearly 35 inch arms, like almost 11 inch hands. Like the guy is just a walking like skyscraper at the wide receiver position. And you see that play style when he's on the field, just being able to go up and be able to snag balls out of the air, being able to make those combative catches over top and around like defensive backs, being able to make plays and contested coverage against double teams and whatnot like it's very fun to watch like you know whenever you want to create a player in like madden and you want to just make a guy that's like six foot six runs like a four three four four forty like you're going to create a guy that kind of looks like a keen butler but then you kind of dive into the negatives as well too and you just think about like the keys like to the game and you look at okay how does he consistently catch the ball And does he give consistent effort as a blocker, which is a big point, you know, Tyler often makes in his film and breakdowns. And one thing that kind of stuck out with him is just his drops and his concentration drops. We obviously have gotten on Deontay Johnson about that in the past. And like he is like a former Pro Bowl or caliber receiver, whereas Hakeem Butler is just trying to make the team. So if he's struggling with these same like focus or concentration drops in not making the routine catches routinely, it's going to be very hard for him to be able to make the roster. Same in point when you have such a big physical receiver, but he's not consistently showing effort in the run game as a blocker. Like there's times where he will like utilize his size and length and just be able to latch on to defensive backs when you watch his tape. But there's also times where you're just kind of like loafing around and just kind of like not being able giving a half effort. And you never want to see that. Like, especially from the receiver position, when you have a running game where you're looking at, you know, spring explosive plays and double explosive plays. So for him, like he really needs to focus in on those finite details at the position just because, yeah, the size is great. Like the ability to stretch the seam, especially from the slide is awesome. But those little things are going to be what makes or breaks his chances of making the roster. Tyler, I know you jumped in. And uh, Keen Butler tape. What what what's what's the most concerning thing with him? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I mean a lot of people have asked me because I've been posting stuff, and I mean the the biggest thing I, I see with him is he just doesn't have the you know the, the technical details down in the game. I, I kind of relate him a lot to honestly Chase Claypool, um, especially in the slot. I mean, I just he plays too high. Um, you know, the, and when he's outside and they're trying to throw 50-50 balls to him, it's just kind of like that same effort. You're not really expecting him to come down with it. You kind of hope for a defensive pass interference. Um, now, he did have a few, you know, contested catches in the XFL. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's not very sudden out of his breaks. And I don't see the 4-4-3 four, four, speed with him at all. Um, he, he's more kind of a, you know, long strider where, you know, maybe if he's running, you know, flat out straight, you know, he does get that 4-4-3. Four, four, but, you know. He's really kind of he moves more like a tight end, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, because he plays so high when when he does like it wrapped up and tackled, like it, it feels like he doesn't fall forward much because he's playing so high. The guys can kind of just like kind of just fall to the side and he doesn't have that, you know, that power in that way. But I mean, there is a lot of stuff to like about him. Um, and like, obviously, he does have a huge catch radius and, you know, he does uh, kind of overpower people, you know, through the route. But that was something, too, where I, I posted a few 
uh, where he's just literally just pushing guys like five yards down the field. <laughs> and it's like some, some, somehow, somehow the refs were not calling that. I mean, I'm, I'm an always commit offensive pass interference advocate, but at the same time, some of these are like ridiculous. Like there's, I'll post one after this podcast that he literally is just running a, a curl route and pushes the guy literally five yards down and just like stands there and gets a catch and there's no flag. So those are things he's obviously not going to be able to do in the NFL. Um, and there's, there's being physical at the top of your route and there's just flat out, you know, many penalties. So um, there, there's things to like where, you know, he, he's big, fast. I mean, fast to, you know, a degree for his size. Uh, I think he can create some mismatches from the uh, from the slot, but I, I just don't see his position on this roster, honestly, at this point. Um, I, I mentioned that, too, where as soon as Allen Robinson was signed, it was like I, I mentioned, you know, possibly bringing him in. But as soon as Allen Robinson was signed, I feel like that was his roster spot. Um, and I don't see him being a guy that, that plays special teams remotely close to the ability that Miles Boykin has. Um, so, I mean, maybe he, he carves out a position, but at this point, I just don't see his his spot on this roster. Uh, you guys weren't privy to it because we record is it's it's earlier in this uh, uh or I don't know if it's earlier I think it's earlier in this podcast uh where we'll have it cut in at but uh me talking about uh Butler and one of the things that I came away from the tape from was I didn't think he he had enough contested catches in there for a guy his size and I, I think that's kind of what you're saying as well too right Tyler I mean you you with his size and his catch radius and and the big body and, and physicality. It, it feels like I was wanting more contested catches. And and I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Yeah. I mean, he had, I think he had one, I'm trying to think of that was like a corner route that he kind of reached over top of the guy. But other than that, um, I really felt like anything that was truly contested, he, he's not super physical at the catch point. I didn't think, um, I mean, he really, he really thrives off of being in the XFL and being faster and stronger than everybody else, um, bigger, faster, stronger um, than everybody in the XFL. It really seemed like he was, you know, a, a varsity player playing, you know, Monday night on the JV game. Um, and that's just, that's just all going to be, you know, shortened down and all those, you know, advantages that he has in the XFL is not going to be the case really as much in the NFL. Um, obviously in the preseason and stuff, there's going to be some guys that, you know, probably are XFL level players that he can maybe take advantage of. But at the same time, I think those nuances are going to catch up to you. And he's definitely not going to be a guy that you can just put outside and throw 50, 50 balls to like the Steelers try to do with Chase Claypool. You're going to get many of the same results. Um, Cause he's just not, not that type of guy. Uh, Josh, take us home with uh, Hakeem Butler. I'm still trying to recover from Tyler saying he reminds him of Chase Claypool. Now I can't get it out of my head. Um, I, I I really I really he he, that, does, he doesn't fall backwards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I I will say that. I mean, he he he, you know, on those kind of uh, big balls, I didn't see a lot of that jump and fall on my back, you know, uh, uh, type. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I I thought when when Tyler pointed him out um, before the Allen Robinson trade as a slot option, I thought it was a, a great call by Tyler. And um, you know, then obviously they trade for Robinson, and as Tyler said, that kind of takes away. Butler's opportunity to land on the 53. And I don't know that he's going to be a guy that wants to stick on a practice squad where he's going to be behind guys, you know, like a Boykin, a Robinson. Uh, I do think it will help Butler though, to get into camp and kind of watch and see how guys like George Pickens and Allen Robinson play as more of those physical contested guys. And hopefully it rubs off on him a little bit. Uh, And I, I, I am curious to see, how he develops, you know, in OTAs, mini camp, training camp with, with Frisman Jackson overall. But, but yeah, for a guy, his size with, with his testing numbers, he just didn't make those, 
you know, those plays at the NFL. He certainly did that in the Big 12 at Iowa State, and that obviously got him on the radar. But, uh, yeah, he he just he couldn't put it together in the NFL. And, and quite honestly, I mean, he didn't really get any opportunities either. Uh, I think he played one game in the NFL with the Eagles uh, and never quite latched on uh, with Arizona. So I, I don't see a path for him on the 53. I think he's certainly going to make some highlight real plays, as Tyler pointed out in the preseason against those fringe roster guys, XFL guys that he's has gone against, but uh, he just does not make those contested catches, um, you know, for hit for his size. And you don't really see the the blocking effort overall. So um, yeah, I, I don't see him making the 53, but he's certainly an interesting piece to add to that receiver room overall. All right, guys, I think we're just about out of time here, but cannot thank you enough for for being here this morning and offering your insight. And again, just all the work you guys have put in pre-draft, post-draft and got OTAs coming up. So that's going to keep us all pretty busy and a very, very busy offseason for Omar Khan and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So thank you guys so much. And we'll have you guys on the podcast again sometime soon. Walk the dogs, school drop off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Jonathan Hightritter, Josh Carney, and Tyler Wise. Those guys do Tremendous work and contributes so much to the site. We cannot thank them enough. So be sure to follow all those guys on Twitter. Dave, as always, a good conversation with all, all of them. Yeah, look, uh, we are blessed to have uh, such good contributors across uh, the site. And I, I think we got, what, about 25 people now uh, on the staff in total contributing in various ways. And and the work those guys did and that, that group of uh, drafting did, uh, we were thankful enough to be able to send quite a few of them on the road to uh, the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl and obviously the, the Combine. And we hope to be able to continue that process in years moving forward and just, uh, just, you know, you learn, you know, if you, if you listen, if you, if you, if you keep your mouth shut and you, you listen to each other and, and what, what all these guys can bring to the table, you can, it helps you speed up the process, uh, during the off season, because there's, there's obviously so many of these guys that we try to learn about in a short amount of time. And you and me particularly, because we don't really even get, you know, really start our draft stuff until the week before the, uh, before the draft starts. So, uh, yeah, just very thankful to have those guys. All right, Dave, do a couple other quick stories before we get to some reader emails. You've done through and done the uh, the legwork of going through all of Hakeem Butler's targets last year for the XFL, or earlier this year, I should say, for the XFL uh, Battlehawks. Your impressions, that article is a sticky top of the page on Seals Depot. People should check it out. Dave puts in a ton of time, a lot of good takeaways there. What were some of your conclusions going through Hakeem Butler's tape in the XFL? First of all, I forgot how, how how much work 73 targets are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure at some point you're hoping to have a couple less targets. Let's do, can we do 60 I, targets? Can I, I enjoyed that Allen Robinson one. It was a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, give me know, like a good 30. Yeah, a little bit a little bit less there. Uh, no, look, a, a, I was thankful. I was able to find all the TV tape on, on, on all those games and was able to find some uh, play-by-play uh, 
uh, Excel files that let me let me instantly at least pull the uh, times uh, of the plays, and that obviously helps. And over the years, I've gotten I've gotten pretty good about uh, being able to fast forward to certain parts of the tape based on where I think. But uh, you know, one one of my main takeaways uh, with him, you know, a is obviously he's he's a big dude, uh, and the second thing is, you know, those he, he did have the drop problem, and last year with 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 uh, with the Battle Hawks, and there were there were some nasty, nasty, you know, nasty drops in there for sure. So that's that's one thing initially uh, that he's going to have to work on. Okay. And, and so what was there any specific trend in terms of the drops? Was it where he's taking his eyes off the football, kind of the Deontay Johnson issue? Was it maybe some more ones above his head, outside his frame a little bit more? Or like, could you define if you're able to see any sort of pattern in terms of a potential commonality with some of the drops that he had with the XFL? No, they, they were all kind of uh, mixed in there overall, to be honest with you. And one, I even, I even shot, you know, one out to you, uh, to you guys to say drop or nah, you know, uh, of, of one in the end zone that was kind of out, outside. Look, he's got a, a great catch radius, you know, and, and mm-hmm. a big guy like that obviously should, but uh, you know, the even, even, even that one that I that I you know sent to you guys in the end zone there that was uh, 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 up over his head, uh, you know you kind of felt like he should have had it. To be honest with you yeah. there, I thought it was a drop. I, it was high, but because he pulled it back into his body, that's where I kind of went. Okay, I'm going to call that one a drop. Had it just kind of hit off his fingertip, I might not have All called right. it that. But I thought when he brought it in, he just didn't secure it the whole way. Uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong. He had a little bit of a drop problem when he when when he came into the NFL. So you know that that might be uh, there. There there does appear on a couple of be some concentration issues. And look, even for a guy his size, you know you can pro- you can find some contested catch stuff in his tape and all. He's not he's not as uh, at least in these XFL targets and all. Uh, he's not he could be a better contested catch guy. He needs to especially when he's coming back for the football. Uh, he, he, he needs to do a better job of continuing to work back to the quarterback, I think, uh, because that him slowing up at times allows the defensive backs to get there and, 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 and kind of impact that play. And a guy, his side, he should size, he should be able to use that body, uh, better as a shield to prevent that kind of stuff happening, especially, uh, uh, on, on some comebacks, uh, his route running, to be honest with you, at least, you know, targets and, 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 and scrounging, scrounging around some of the other tape. It's, it's average. I mean, he's not a twitchy guy. He's a big guy. He can move. He can get off the line. He's not super twitchy. He can run out in space. He can get off the line. Uh, I think he does a good job with his hands and arms of, 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 of gaining separation, especially with the ball in flight uh, at times, especially on stuff on some of those slot fades and, 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 and working from the inner of the field uh, towards the outside. So I, you know, I think he does good in that area uh, yards after the catch. I thought he did a real, real good job uh, on that. Uh, I think nearly around half of his uh, receiving yards last season with the battle Hawks came uh, after the catch. And, you know, probably not surprising a guy that big. Uh, if he, if he can, if he can get turned with the football moving the other direction, it's going to be tough to bring down. And I think his average was something like five point something uh, yards 
uh, gained after the catch on average, which is a, you know, obviously a strong number. And you, you, you definitely want to see uh, that correlate with him. He catches the ball in, in, in all areas of the field between the numbers, between the hash marks, uh, all levels of the field too, man. He had a lot of catches uh, within, you know, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. However, however, comma, he had, you know, uh, you know, I forget the exact number. I'm not looking at it. around a dozen or, or ten, eight to 10 or something like that of, 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 of air yards, more than 20 yards down the field. Uh, he can catch it, you know, uh, uh, outside of the numbers. He's got plenty of catches in, in that regard. Now they, here's one thing that stuck out on tape. They used them a lot in, on, on kind of those quick flare outs from the slot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and wide receiver screens as well too. those quick wide receiver screens. He's got a good, I think dozen or so, maybe 15. Once again, I'm not looking at my numbers of catches that, that were two or fewer yards, uh, from the line of scrimmage. And a good half of those were, were caught behind the line of scrimmage. But within that, uh, on, on those kind of catches, I think he does a good job of, 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 of catching the football and, 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 and getting up the field, uh, you know, and, and, and making yards after the catch there. Uh, seems to have a good, a good feel for settling down in, 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 in the soft zone areas, uh, that kind of stuff. And once again, he can. He can, he can get on the hoof. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, I heard somebody on the radio say, you know, is he, is he, is he Plaxico Burris? Is he Martavis Bryant? He doesn't, he doesn't have that, that glide that, mm-hmm. that a Martavis Bryant does. Uh, probably a lot, you know, and Plaxico was so lean, you know, especially early on, maybe a, a kind of a, 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 a four or five years into, into his career, Plaxico Burris. Kind kind of movement to his game and all like that, uh, but once again, he's not a burner, but he can get up over top. He can he can stress uh, the middle of the field seems right down the middle uh, 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 of the field. Seems like he can take a hit okay, and he, he you know he can, obviously once again he can he can he can make yardage after the catch, and that you know this team needs guys that can that can, that can get some yak moving forward here. Cause that obviously was missing, uh, from this offense last year. Um, I think he's going to have to have some special teams ability to him. Now I, I haven't looked into that. I only looked into his targets, but I think it would behoove him to, to be able to play, to contribute some on special teams, uh, moving forward. Uh, does he deserve this shot back in the NFL? Absolutely. I think the, 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 the tape, the XFL tape will tell you that for sure. Uh, and now what he does with it, we'll see. I was looking at our 2019 draft profile when he came out of Iowa State. It's so you know fortunate to have those things you can go back to. And we did note in that report his hands were an issue, had some focus drops. So seems like something that hasn't really been corrected and probably something he'll always deal with and frustrate throughout his uh his you know professional football career. Let me ask you two quick questions about Butler when you went through the all the 73 targets. A was there anything new you learned about his game that surprised you in either a positive or negative way? Was it something that, that caught you by surprise? Mm. Something you didn't expect based on what you knew kind of loosely about him prior to going through all that tape? Uh just his ability to get up the field, I think, deeper down the field. Okay. 
And then second question, and you've kind of touched on this already, but you well, saw. I'll tell of- you one thing that, that, that I, yeah, uh, one thing that stuck that jumped out was a lot of those shorter passes, and and that that severely impacted his average yards per catch number, uh, uh, and obviously average yards per per target number. Uh, I was expecting more of a nine and. You know, an average depth of target of about nine, I think, on the little bit of XL, XFL tape that I'd seen. I was expecting both those averages to be a little bit further down the field than 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 they actually were. And then I, you know, I was surprised to see uh, how many times they used him so, you know, uh, got the football in his hands so close to the line of scrimmage. I think that goes into my second question of a lot of. He got most of the reps in the slot from the targets you saw. Like where I know you've touched on this a little bit, but outside inside kind of gauged me on how much he was playing of each. Yeah, he moved around uh, overall, and I didn't, you know, in an effort to get through this a lot more quicker. I didn't so much uh, 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 chart slot versus you know, or, or one, two, or three, you know, the, the, those mm-hmm. kind of things there. But he did move. He, uh, I, I will say this: he was obviously a lot more closer, you know, to to uh, the, the tackles than not. Okay. And that's notable because the dude's six, five and a half. And so most of those guys are outside type of guys, but he's a guy that has played in the slot and can play in the slot and probably will do that to some degree in Pittsburgh. And that may be one reason why that number was down a little bit in terms of his a dot and, and that kind of stuff, but that makes him kind of unique and certainly could be a matchup problem inside and, and as a blocker as well for the next level. Here, here's what I wrote in here. In fact, 15 of his 51 catches this past season came two yards from the line of scrimmage or closer. Seven of those were caught behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 73 of his targets, uh, 48 came between the numbers with eight of those coming between the hash marks in the middle of the field. 25 others came outside the numbers uh, 11 of Butler's uh, uh, 73 targets came more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, and seven of those went for touchdowns. Uh, three of his receptions came on air yards of more than 20 yards. Uh, he registered 10 explosive play receptions, so 10 of 50, whatever it was, uh, one uh, were explosive plays of 20 yards or longer, with his longest one being uh, 66 uh, yards. Uh, they used him obviously a little bit in the red zone. Uh, I think he got about four of his touchdowns inside the red zone. He was obviously that they like, they like to kind of, uh, either working towards the middle of the field in that short area or, uh, run those kind of those, you know, uh, uh, corner corners or, or fades to him. In terms of the real short receptions, two yards or closer, is that RPO game? Is that screen game where are those things kind of coming from uh on those shorter ones yeah you said he had how many yeah, yards are shorter like yeah th- and 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 those though yeah it was a mix you know wide receiver screens kind of the rpos and the, and the quick okay. kind of flare outs where you know he releases uh on a short out pattern with, with okay. it still still being right at the line of scrimmage yeah, it's interesting for a guy of that body type who ran four four eight. It's a different route tree than you would expect, but I kind of like that. It is something different, something that kind of separates him. So, you know, can he carve out special teams value? He probably won't work in the return game. You know, have to work on you know coverage units and some blocking units in front of the return guys. So, I think it's going to be tough for him to do, especially with Boykin there. But the more you can do, the better. And we'll see how he looks in camp. Right. 
All right, good deal there. I think the last thing to to note here, just kind of a, thankfully a lighthearted story, but TJ Watt posting on Twitter on Thursday of a, of a home accident, you can say, him slipping and falling into his pool. So he's okay, he says. So that's all good there. But JJ roasting him a little bit. And obviously that's some uh, <laughs> precious cargo. You want to make sure it stays, stays okay, stays healthy. He's had enough injuries the last two years. You don't want to add any offseason ones to that, to that list. Yeah, boy. Uh, uh, no, you don't. Plain and simple. No, you don't. And uh, he, he's having some fun with it. I know his brother's uh, uh, giving it to him pretty good. But, you know, thank goodness he, you know, he wasn't hurt. And uh, I bet there's like 50,000 people in Pittsburgh now uh, willing to clean his pool for free. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. What is that thing he was standing on? He has so much money. I don't even know what to call some of these things. It's the the walkway. It's not stairs in his pool, but it's in the pool. What is that? Just a yeah, ledge, a lip, like a lip or whatnot? I guess kind of a shadow, shadow, uh, uh, wet, dried lip. I, I guess I don't know what you'd call that thing. Some fancy living there for teaching. What's the thing in the corner? There's this little roped off. Is that like a jacuzzi, or is that just the way the pool is shaped? Oh, uh, who knows? Yeah, that's some some. We were we were an above ground pool kind of family growing up. We so. we were too. <laughs> All right, Dave. Anything else you want to get to today? No, I think that's got uh, got got most of it there. All right, and that's uh, plenty to talk about for a Friday in May. So let's get through some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let's do it here. Let me, let me cycle through them here. And again, just uh, upcoming on the Steelers' schedule, uh, Tuesday, first day of OTAs, where the whole team is voluntary, but you expect basically everybody to be there. I would also expect Alex Highsmith to be there, so that will kick things off Tuesday and Monday. Uh, Kenny Pickett will be on the football and podcast with Big Ben. And so that's already been recorded, but it will uh, go live on Monday evening. All right, Brett, now a uh, couple of questions about Zach Gentry. There's been a lot of talk about, about cutting him lately. I have a couple of questions about that. Now, in my opinion, you cut him. Someone else will claim him since he's on the four-year benefit contract with a reduced salary cap hit. My question is, if a team claims him, obviously they have to take his salary, but which number would they have to count towards the cap? Uh, only if the Steelers could sign him to that contract, but if they cut him, does the claiming team get that benefit? I, I don't you know what? I don't know that answer uh, to the, to to that question because obviously I don't think we've seen that uh, happen before overall. So, uh, I, I you know the benefit comes from the league, so I would imagine that the league still still pays the benefit there, uh, right. and I, I would think whatever the you know the rest of the base salary is. And all like that. And obviously, if there's any kind of signing bonus in there, the Steelers, you know, the 152,500, the Steelers would have to uh, eat that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure overall how how that would work if you cut him uh, with that being a benefit contract. I don't know either, because this is a relatively new type of contract, right? In terms of this, was this like from the 2020 CBA I, that got created? I think it might be. I can't remember. It seems like it was part of the new CBA. Yes. Okay. But my guess is because when you claim a player, you get his contract. So I imagine the contract would stay the same. It would just be a quirk in the system of that benefit that usually is only for the team that is resigning a guy that goes to the, the claiming team. But I imagine it would probably stay as is. I would imagine it would too. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, you're not going to take pay away from a guy. Right. You know? So I don't think it would change real, real quick. The, good question for, for multiple reasons, but also got me thinking, 
the Steelers Twitter account Thursday tweeted a, a photo of the tight ends flexing, which is, you know, fine social media fodder. We had Darnell Washington. We had Pat Fryermuth. We had Zach Gentry, even had Rodney Williams, a futures contract tight end, who was not in that photo, photo Connor Hayward. And so is that a sign that Connor Hayward's going to be with uh, Eddie Faulkner and the running backs to be a fullback this year? It'll be interesting. It's something to watch. And it's, uh, uh, I, I, I think, you know, uh, I think that's a noticeable development. We'll, we'll obviously, maybe we'll find out more when this team gets to uh, OTAs and gets going there uh, for sure. But uh, all right, number two from uh, uh, Brett, you talked about how 12 personnel is likely to be a bigger part uh, to the offense this year. And he agrees. However, you're going to install a larger 12 personnel package and your two top tight ends both have injury concerns, Firemuth with concussions and Washington uh, due to injury concerns. Don't you need a third tight end to be able to keep that package available in case of in- injury? Sure. Look, I mean, if you, and, and you know, that kind of plays into us just talking about Connor Hayward. I mean, if, if the plan is for uh, to carry a fullback, a, a more true fullback, uh, and, or a, you know, fullback slash H back, what, whatever. And, and Connor is that guy. Cause look, you, you, uh, e- even with the tight end, uh, slash next to him, he's not going to be a guy that you want to run out there, you know, on the end of the line of scrimmage as a, as one or two tight ends and 12 personnel, uh, there. So, uh, would it, would it behoove this team, I guess, to, to carry, uh, three, you know, kind of guys that could you could put on the end of the line sure i mean if you can make the roster numbers work absolutely uh the the thing about gentry is is what you know he's not uncuttable and that's what i've said all off season he's not uncuttable and his contract dictates that he's not uncuttable we'll see who else they get in here of uh uh you know maybe to push him obviously he has that size uh, and if you're going to want to play that bully ball with 12, 13 personnel at, at, at times on the field, you're going to want that size in there. But I'll say this, Gentry's blocking has got to get better, plain and simple. Uh, if you're just throwing big body guys out there just because they're big bodies, they still got to do a job. Sure, his blocking needs to be more like it was in 2021. I thought it took a step back in 2022, and that was disappointing because he's not going to offer really anything else in the receiving game or special teams to add additional value. But yeah, to answer the question, you know, A, depth can only be so good. There's only so many big, you know, monster-looking tight ends around like Washington. You have a guy in Gentry who's not going to offer the receiving game stuff, and obviously I think we just mentioned his blocking took took a step back from 21 to 22. but you know, you you could keep three true tight ends of Frymouth, Washington, and Gentry. Hayward is your Derek Watt replacement, so to speak. So you have four total of the fullback, H-back, and tight ends. And if a Frymouth or a Washington went down for whatever reason, you know, Gentry can work in 12 personnel as, as run-heavy personnel. Now, you will probably change how much you'll use that. And so, yeah, 12 personnel may increase in usage, but it's not anything where you can't adjust on the fly and play more 11 if somebody gets hurt, um, they're going to still run a bunch of 11 personnel this season. So it's not going to, you know, it, it would hurt this team, obviously, but it's not going to be a disaster if you had to play a little less 12 personnel. 
Okay, you've talked about getting a spot for Potabom on the roster as a fullback. You could use him as a fullback. Keep two running backs. Keep a guy like Master Teague on the practice squad. Elevate him if there's an injury. And if you need an emergency uh, in-game injury replacement, simply use Hayward. Uh, I mean, Hayward obviously did carry the football some at, at, at Michigan State. It will be interesting for the rest of this offseason to see how dedicated he is more to that, to that running back room per se, you know, uh, how much they intend to use him as a fullback. Uh, look, I'm, I'm more interested in Potabon because I'm, <laughs> I like those guys that seem to come out of the womb as fullbacks, you know? <laughs> uh, and it, it looks like he was, he, he got the t-shirt probably not long after birth. I mean, realistically, what is the, 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 the chances for, for, for Potabom to make this roster? Probably not great, but things do happen. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say he's not going to, not going to make it. And, you know, the, I, I, we, we wrote and talk about master Teague. I mean, uh, the, the, the thing that I just wanted to point out about master Teague is it does look like, you know, uh, he has a, a, at least a fighter's chance, uh, especially if Benny Snell's not brought back and it's not looking like that's going to happen. It looks like he's going to have a fighter's chance to, 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 to potentially make the roster. So once again, you know, uh, you're talking about what you're doing, Brad, you're talking about different type of roster manipulation here, but as we've seen, we talk about projected rosters in May. It's funny how stuff happens, <laughs> you know, uh, between that time of year and, and, and the beginning of September that makes you go, well, that didn't work out the way I, we, we thought it would for whatever reason, injuries, you know, surprise releases. I mean, for, for God's sakes, you know, uh, who would have thought, when was Jannard Avery signed last year, Alex? Oh man, that's a name I haven't heard in quite some time. Um, he was signed earlier in the off season, I want to say, or maybe is it, was it around this time? Now you got me curious. Yeah. I mean, and that's just the first example that came to my head and what, what was the kind of the thinking at that time? Well, that guy's going to be, uh, potentially the number three and number four outside sure. linebacker, right? March 28th of last year, he signed okay. a one-year deal. Uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, I know we don't remember specifics, but you know, uh, but I know, I know before camp started, you, 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 I'm sure both of us probably had him penciled in on a 53 man roster, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Every year, you know, as you said, things happen that you don't expect that's happened literally every single year and it will happen in 2023. Now what that thing will be, I don't know. That's what we don't know and don't expect and can't anticipate it occurring. Think about, think about Ray Ray McLeod who got signed in 2020. No one could see him because it was COVID and everything was shut down in terms of practices. So we're all sitting at home. Just, you know, he gets signed and all of a sudden he makes the team and it's like, okay, apparently because he had a great run back and a full, you know, session uh, kick return. A touchdown that he had in a, in a full contact drill because uh, they couldn't do preseason stuff. So every single year, Zach Banner comes off mid camp, he makes the team. I mean, you just you just never know, right? Uh, and look, you know, maybe Potabom comes out there and you, he's a guy that you just you know you decide you can't keep him off the roster for for whatever reason. You know, he'll obviously have to contribute on special teams, but I bet that's in his blood too. Hey, he's a linebacker. I mean, he's, he's done it. I mean, if he makes the team, it'll be the same path as Rosie Nix, who made it not for what he did, did as a fullback initially, but because of the special teams. He blocks that punt against Carolina after a really good summer overall. That cements his spot. To answer the question about 
you know, carrying two true running backs, you're not going to do that because if you lose somebody in the first quarter of a game, you only have one running back left. And so, yeah, you have Teague you could call up, but he's not going to help you in game. And I know Hayward's there, but it's been a couple seasons since he's played running back. He's not going to carry the ball much this year. He carried it a little bit late last year, but you don't want that. You're going to, you're risking trouble there. So if you want to try to start carving out ways for Potterbaum to make it, I'd have to see what the roster construction was like when Rosie Nix made it all those years ago when they carried two fullbacks to start and Will Johnson and him. It would probably have to be where you go five receivers, three tight ends, two fullbacks, and Hayward and Potterbaum. That's probably the best math for him to try to make this thing. All right. And uh, look, this what I've what I've done usually do now once the once the 90 man roster gets set is I start going through the roster of guys that I'm really, really intrigued about uh, that I think could could potentially make noise uh, during the offseason there. Uh, I think Master Teague should be on people's list uh, when it comes to that, uh, potentially being a guy that could go you know, maybe either way, practice squad or, or 53 man roster. I mean, I think Potabomb, uh, is, is, is definitely more than anything, just going to be a fun guy to watch and, uh, uh, throughout the uh, rest of the off season, especially if he can stay healthy. Uh, Hakeem Butler is now one of those guys. Uh, who else is one of those guys that, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really a, a tree in, intrigued about this guy. Yeah, I think you hit on. And you're you're saying like more new players that we haven't had eyes on before. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty. Much. Well, I mean, look, I, I, even the even the backup center, uh, Ryan McCollum. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that that that's a guy that even though he's been around, kind kind of interested to see what what he can do. And then obviously you're going to talk about the draft picks and 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 really all of the undrafted free agents. Uh, there, but I mean, there's just certain guys that you start going through this time of year and thinking. Yeah, that's a guy going to be, you know, try, trying to keep tabs on. Wonder, wonder, wonder what happens with him. Right. Because my first thought went to Mark Robinson, a bit more of an obvious mm-hmm. name, but I really want to see his year number two. I think he could still beat out Elaine Roberts for that starting job and see significant playtime right away. But yeah, it, it's, I mean, I did the math for an article on Thursday. I, and I had, I didn't get the chance to compare this year over year. I know roster turnover occurs, occurs each year. And some of this is like guys playing 15 or so snaps and then they're gone. But right. 27 players that played snaps for Pittsburgh last year are no longer on this roster. Another five guys are guys that are potential cuts or may lose a starting role in Dan Moore, Kevin Dotson, Gentry, Loudermilk, et cetera. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, again, I mentioned this, I think on Wednesday show, something like probably 25 to maybe even, I don't know, 30 different names on this roster from one season to the next. That has been a, a pretty ridiculous amount of roster turnover. That kind of plays plays perfectly into this next email I got from David Ricards here. He says, uh, "Dave and Alex, it feels like Omar is really turning over the bottom of the roster. Has this season been above average, or am, or am, am I off base?" He says, "Thanks to the Depot team for coverage." He says, "I know Dave doesn't drink anymore, but he should treat the group to drinks at the Carnival Bar next time they're out for the uh, the Shrine Bowl. It's fun for under thirty crowd, assuming it's even still open." Yeah, I'm not I'm not even familiar with a Carnival bar is and uh uh these guys are usually you know 
busy from the time they, we, we go out to eat when these guys come to Vegas for the, for the shrine bowl, right. When they get here, but I mean, they, you know, and then obviously they, you know, uh, after practices and all, they go get a bite to eat or whatnot and, and all like that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I usually have to be tethered to the computer, uh, at, at, at the Metroplex, uh, while that's going on there. But uh, as far as, uh, is this season a bit above average? I guess we'd have to look back, you know, and all like that, but, but it does feel like, the churn is above average for sure this offseason. I would say so. And again, I can't quantify it. And there is some of that prisoner of the moment where you kind of forget about, you know, 2022, there was a big free agency class and a fair amount of change there. But I would probably venture a pretty solid guess that you're seeing a lot of turnover here. And again, that's partly because I know the cons of promotion in-house higher, but, you know, it's it's sold new GM. And you have Andy Weidel that comes in. And when you do that, you typically have a fair amount of roster turnover. This, you know, roster wasn't the best last year. They were nine and eight. You know, at the bye, they were one of the worst teams in football. So, you know, that's to be expected. It's it's unusual. It's a bit uncomfortable for Steeler fans because they're not used to that kind of change in uh, one of the, the main key decision makers. But this team's kind of really been refocused in terms of its vision, who they want to be, how they're how they want to win. And so you're seeing a lot of change that comes along with that. All right, uh, one last one. We'll get out of here. This one's about our own Owen Straley from uh, Rocco. Rocco says, hey, Dave, just wanted to offer a tip of the cap to Owen Straley. His work covering defensive backs is strong, and his byline is probably my most anticipated from your stable of riders. His technical expertise just drips from the page. I think your readers really learn and benefit from his work. Please keep up the good work as always, Rocco. Thanks for that. And I pass that on to Owen uh, as well as well to the other guys and all. And uh, you're right. I mean, Owen, look, he played the position uh, in, 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 in college there. Uh, we've leaned on him several times for defensive back uh, stuff, even in, in season when we're not too sure about a, a certain coverage or, 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 or an assignment. And uh, you usually pass that right on to him and, and, and he's able to decipher it real, real quick. And uh, Owen's, I, mean, I can't even remember how long Owen's been with me now, but uh, uh, several, several years. And obviously now he's, uh, he's uh, getting his feet wet in, in, in the college coaching ranks and couldn't be prouder for him of that. And, uh, Rocco, you're right. You, you, you read his work on, and he's got, he asked, uh, for, uh, dolphins versus Steelers tape, uh, just today. And he's going to be, he just did something on Patrick P. I don't know what he's got uh, up his sleeve here, but, uh, look for another, uh, defensive back related, uh, post from that because he, he is very good at what he does. I think it's something on Levi Wallace. Him and I were talking about brainstorming some ideas. So he's kind of diving through the tape. But yeah, it's always good to have smart people on the site and people that know a ton about a uh, specific position. I think our whole site has been built on kind of the the really passion, the focused energy on one particular thing. Of course, the Steelers. And when you bring in guys like Owen that know the particulars of defensive back play so well that can explain it on a whole nother level. Um, really makes you appreciate a the position, the nuances that come along with it. We both learn, and I think our readers learn too. So, thank you, Rocco, for for noticing that, for appreciating Owen because he does a fantastic job. Amen. All right, Alex, shall we get out of here? Yeah, we'll come back on Monday, and who the heck knows what else to be to talk about? Odds are there will be something to talk about. We keep talking about we should do two to two shows a week, but I don't know if we're going to get to that point uh, hardly at all because it has been just an active cycle. 
All right. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button, upper right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button, upper right navigational bar. Uh, and until Monday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.